Morning, y'all. I'm Katie Kamen, and it's Wednesday, December 13th. On this date in 1974, a rock musician made history by becoming the first to be invited to the White House. The invitation was extended by President Gerald Ford's son, Jack. The musician in question was former Beatle George Harrison. And on this date in 2020, the first vials of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine began making their way to distribution sites across the country. And here's your trivia question on this Wednesday. On this date in 2000, Republican George W. Bush claimed the presidency a day after the U.S. Supreme Court shot down further recounts of disputed ballots in Florida. Do you remember who he defeated in that election? I'll have that answer coming up. But first, it's time to check in on your first alert forecast. And good Wednesday morning. I'm meteorologist Joey Sovine starting out on the chillier side this morning with temperatures in the 30s to around 40 degrees. A little breeze starts to develop today. High temperatures around 60 under a mix of sun and clouds. So a few more clouds out there, but we'll, we will stay dry. Tonight's low around 40. Tomorrow afternoon around 58, 59 on Friday. Plenty of sunshine, still cool. Average highs in the 60s will be below that. But by the weekend, we do go up into the 60s, but it comes with more clouds. Chance of a few showers. We're watching a coastal storm that could bring some rain and wind on Sunday. You're listening to Morning Y'all, your local headlines and first alert weather forecast, powered by the Low Country's news leader, Live 5 News. Now, let's get to your morning headlines. Changes to make busy parts of North Charleston safer for pedestrians are slowly but surely on the way. Walkers and bicyclists say parts of Rivers Avenue are in need of better infrastructure. Just a few weeks ago, one person died after being hit on a street connected to the busy road. And data shows more than 100 crashes happened near Eagle Landing Boulevard and Ashley Phosphate this year alone. The Berkeley, Charleston, Dorchester Council of Governments says the upcoming Low Country Rapid Transit System will help alleviate the issues through new sidewalks and mixed-use pathways. People in Charleston County are weighing in on a large medical village that could be coming to Johns Island. The county held a public hearing last night to discuss the project and hear from those who would be impacted most. The Island Park Medical Village would take up more than 17 acres on the island. And our Emily Johnson was at that meeting and tells us more about the two opposing views on that project. At last night's public hearing, more than 30 people spoke during public comment and hundreds of letters were sent to council before the meeting in opposition of the development. The land in question is right off of Betsy Carrison Parkway, right before you get to Fresh Fields Village. Developers are requesting to rezone the land from low-density residential to large-scale medical office park with almost 160,000 maximum square feet of business space. Those against the project raised questions about what types of medical options will be available and concerns about traffic. And that they're identifying a real need uh, for the population, the growing population on the island. Um, in this particular instance, it's, you know, the, the sighting of it and the location and the scope and scale feels out of character with the, with the area of the island. But some community members want the development, sharing why the area needs more accessible medical facilities closer to their homes. We lack infrastructure. We lack health care. So this project, the Wellness Village, actually helps alleviate a lot of that for us. With no action being taken, the developers will once again present the plan to county council in two weeks if they make any changes in the meantime. Reporting in North Charleston, Emily Johnson, Live 5 News. 
The Charleston Area Rapid Transit Authority, or CARTA, is planning to build a new facility at the Coastal Carolina Fairgrounds, and it's all part of the Rapid Transit Plan. The Low Country Rapid Transit is the first large-scale transportation project in this region, costing more than $600 million. And part of the plan includes a park-and-ride facility at the fairgrounds. Autumn Klein joins us live this morning at the fairgrounds to tell us about how some fair officials are disagreeing with the location of this facility. Autumn. Good morning. CARTA plans to build the park and ride facility as a part of the LCRT plan right here in lot 2A of the fairgrounds. This area is adjacent to Highway 78 as well as one of the major entrances of the fairgrounds. The facility will offer services throughout the entire year. Chairman of CARTA, Mike Seekings, says the LCRT is a result of over a decade of regional planning and he believes it will provide benefits to everyone involved. Having access to the fare from public transit brings more people to the gate, enhances gate revenue, makes it more convenient, gives you many more local connections. Um, it, it's, it's a natural and it will be a very cooperative and beneficial experience for both sides of this and for the region. However, some board members with the Coastal Carolina Fair do not agree with Carta's plan. Their issues lie mainly within the location of the facility. We feel like supporting public transportation is a good thing. We're not opposed to that in any way. We just feel like this location is the wrong location. That there are other options that are available uh, adjacent to our property or even at a different place on our property, but not to take our prime parking spot. Jernigan says that the decision is ultimately not up to him. It will be up to government officials. Seeking says that they want to implement this plan cooperatively and fairly. If plans go through, construction is slated to begin in 2026 and expected to be completed by 2029. Reporting live in Ladson, Autumn Klein, Live 5 News. All right, Autumn, thank you. A historic 1800s home in downtown Charleston is now on the market. The historic Charleston Foundation is listing the Nathaniel Russell House on Meeting Street. And some Charleston natives and visitors say they are not too pleased. The Board of Trustees says this decision came after a years-long strategic planning process. As who, are, as who it will be sold to, that is still up for debate and all options are in play. The board says after the sale, it'll turn its attention to affordable housing and climate resilience in that area. The city of Beaufort is getting its next leader. The city's unofficial results show Phil Cromer with 65% of the vote for the open mayoral seat. Cromer and Mike Sutton, two former city council members, were running for the role. The Board of Voter Registration and Elections of Beaufort County will hold a canvas hearing and certification of those results Friday at 10 a.m. If the numbers hold up, Cromer will finish out former Mayor Stephen Murray's term, and he resigned back in September. New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu, who once considered a presidential bid of his own, has formally endorsed presidential hopeful Nikki Haley. Sununu made that announcement last night during a town hall in Manchester. It was the first night of the former South Carolina governor's three-day campaign swing in the state. There was a sweet older woman who has come to a lot of events. And I saw her coming in here. And she said, so are you going to finally endorse Nikki Haley for president? You bet your ass I am. Let's get this thing done. It's a great night in New Hampshire. I mean, it doesn't get any better than this. 
To go and get endorsed by the live free or die governor is about as rock solid of an endorsement as we could hope for. Governor Sununu plans to back Haley and aggressively campaign on her behalf until New Hampshire's primary January 23rd. He's hoping to slow down former President Donald Trump's runaway frontrunner status and road to the Republican nomination. The House could vote on an impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden as soon as today. The resolution advanced yesterday after a party line vote. The White House is calling the inquiry baseless since Republicans haven't produced evidence that Biden committed a crime. Former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy called for the inquiry back in September after allegations of abuse of power, obstruction and corruption concerning Biden family business dealings. The defense rested its case in the civil fraud trial against former President Donald Trump. New York's attorney general claims Trump and his co-defendants inflated the value of Trump's properties to get more favorable loans. Trump's attorneys spent weeks arguing against the allegations, and now the attorney general's office is set to call rebuttal witnesses. Closing arguments are set for January 11th. Trump was already ruled to be liable of fraud, but the judge still has to decide how much Trump will pay in fines and whether he can keep doing business in the state. The Charleston Police Department is implementing most of the recommendations from its 2019 racial bias audit. The department's director of procedural justice tells us there's still plenty of work to do to eliminate racial disparities. Potential changes could include retraining, changes to policy, and holding community forums. Officials say they'll be paying close attention to data moving forward to come up with a more concrete solution. We'll have to look at the deeper uh, narrative data to help us ascertain what specifically um, the, the, the context of the situation was and if there are patterns in those situations um, that, uh, that need us to respond differently in how we do searches. The report also showed that the department has improved its data collection dramatically since 2019, combining several data sets to produce a more thorough picture. If you'd like to read more from that 500-page report, you can find it under this web story on live5news.com. Protecting our state's waterways, that's a goal of a new rule that makes industrial facilities and wastewater treatment plants share if they're releasing certain chemicals into the water in order to get a permit to operate legally. The Department of Health and Environmental Control's rule focuses on forever chemicals and 1,4-dioxane. Before this rule was added to the application form, polluters worked around those requirements. Live 5's Cecily Kennedy joins us live from DHEC in North Charleston. So, Destiny, why did the department decide to make those changes to that application process? Shelby, Katie, this move aims to address the lack of disclosure. According to the Southern Environmental Law Center for years, South Carolina has had a don't ask, don't tell policy around PFOS and 1,4-dioxane pollutants. These two pollutants are industrial-made chemicals and are toxic to human health and the environment at at extremely low levels. The chemicals are also linked to cancer and other health problems. Recent testing shows many of the state's waterways, fish, and drinking water are contaminated by the two pollutants. Charleston Waterkeeper, an organization that works to protect and restore the waterways here in the low country, tests up to 20 waterways every week for pollution and bacteria. This keeps a close eye on industrial facilities and wastewater treatment plants to ensure they follow permit guidelines. Andrew Wonderly is the executive director of Charleston Waterkeeper. He says this is a step in the right direction, but just the beginning. 
So the next step would be to get good, strong permit limits that require those dischargers to treat and remove those chemicals from the discharge before it ends up in the nearest creek or river. Wonderly encourages the public to act by speaking with your local representatives. Officials say that this will begin to shed light on the harm that pollutants cause to the public's health, environment, and economy. Reporting live in North Charleston, Destiny Kennedy, Live 5 News. All right, Destiny, thank you. The State Department of Health and Environmental Control says South Carolina has seen its first pediatric flu death of the season. The child was not identified by state health officials, but we're told they were from the upstate and died following some complications from the flu. It comes as flu activity continues to spread across the state, sparking a rise in recent hospitalizations. COVID-19 and RSV cases are also growing. DHEC does advise you get vaccinated, wear masks, and wash your hands often to best avoid getting sick. The Medical University of South Carolina is using new grants to expand health initiatives into low country classrooms. MUSC already integrated the programs into Charleston County Schools to promote children's health through better eating, fitness, and lifestyle habits. Those services will soon be offered in Dorchester School District 2 and Berkeley County Schools thanks to $1.3 million in new funding. The money is part of a larger $4.3 million grant from the Duke Endowment. The funding will also go toward initiatives like workforce recruitment and retention. Draft guidelines from a group of medical experts recommend that doctors intervene to help children with obesity. Those recommendations from the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force. However, they don't include a recommendation for surgery or medication. Nearly 20 percent of all children in the United States have what's considered to be a high body mass index, which is the measure used to determine obesity. The task force recommends pediatricians refer children six and older with weight problems to comprehensive and intensive behavioral therapy. Japanese researchers say a popular sushi condiment could be used to help prevent dementia. Wasabi's active ingredient, 6-MSITC, has known antioxidant and anti-inflammatory properties and is now, it's also been linked to improve short-term and long-term memory. Researchers split 72 healthy volunteers into two groups. One got 100 milligrams of wasabi extract and the other got a placebo. After three months of daily use, they found those given the wasabi had boosts in memory and an 18% improvement in the ability to learn, store, and retrieve information. At the beginning of the show, I told you that George W. Bush claimed the presidency on this date in 2000 after the U.S. Supreme Court stopped further recounts in Florida. Bush's Democratic challenger conceded the race and called for national unity. Do you remember who that challenger was? You're right if you said former Vice President Al Gore. Celebrating birthdays this Wednesday, actor Dick Van Dyke turns 98. Actor-singer John Davidson is 82. Actor-comedian Jamie Foxx is 56. And singer Taylor Swift is 34. Thanks so much for joining us for Morning Y'all, powered by Life 5 News. I'm Katie Kamen. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Morning Y'all is produced every weekday morning. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and download the Live 5 News app for your mobile device. Get the latest news and weather updates 24-7 from Live 5 News, the Low Country's news leader.